Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. It's AJ and... Frank, how's it going, buddy? It's going really, really well, dude. I'm so glad to be talking with you again. Uh, nice to, to be doing it in kind of a rhythm. I do really enjoy um, kind of getting in the flow of it, so glad we can do it uh, pretty much the next week uh, since we did one last week. Um, so, yeah, uh, today's episode... Um, me and Frank both saw uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, it was obviously a huge, humongous hit this past weekend, making over $145 million domestically at the box office, which technically is more than Man of Steel did. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a giant hit. Uh, obviously, Marvel is taking a D-level comic book to A-level movie star status. And we're going to break it down for you today. Yeah, you know, I mean... Sort of the box office, what did it do, like 50% higher or something than the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Like, you know, that one was a surprise hit in itself. And, you know, it everybody loved it. And I think it had really long legs. And, you know, Groot stole the show of the first movie. And it, it just uh, it became a, such a cultural thing. And, uh, you know, it, in its own way, it's kind of off-brand of Star Wars kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, like, I, right. I think, what uh, was it the fifth highest um, Marvel movie gross from, you know, the first opening weekend, I, I want to say? I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, I think it's really interesting that you say it's kind of off-brand Star Wars because going into these movies fresh really does feel how it must have felt to see the original trilogy back in the day in the theater. It's very similar to how I felt when we would go see the prequels. It's just that uh, I've heard people say this on other podcasts, but it's a universe I want to live in. I think it was Kevin Smith. Like that these, that this kind of a movie, it's such a fully fleshed out idea that you just want to go and poke around, you know? Yeah, totally. It's, and it's interesting. Cause like, especially the first movie, you feel like you're really exploring this galaxy in a, in a way. And like, there's, uh, they show you so many different things. And, you know, ultimately this movie ends up being a little bit smaller in, in scale. Uh, it, it becomes a, a much more personal story. and uh, But it's still just as fun to, to poke around and see new things. I mean, pretty much everything we saw was new. Um, and it's still a gorgeous Gorgeous movie. Uh, oh, it's it is gorgeous. These are a few things we can talk about before we have to give the spoilers warning. Sure. So this is actually the first uh, Marvel movie to use the new version of the uh, red camera. They were using an Alexa for a while. That was the standard for uh, pretty much most of Phase Two, and then into um, uh, the first few movies in Phase Three: Doctor Strange, Civil War. Uh, this movie is the first movie they shot on this brand new camera and holy fuck did the colors pop in this movie. It looks like an, I think I tweeted this. It looks like an eighties comic book splash page come to life under a black light. Yeah, totally. It's just all of those amazing, spectacular neons and greens and purples and blues on, uh, specifically, um, the living planet, which, uh, you know, we're going to have to throw up the warning, but right before we do, uh, Frank, is there anything else? Did you like this movie? Did I, you enjoy yeah. it? I really enjoyed this movie. I, it, and it's hard with a lot of these Marvel movies. I want to go see it again because, and that was one of the, my first reactions. I was like, I, I liked it so much, but you know, and I, I hate to compare them, you know, I hate to compare them all and compare it to the original, but ultimately there's 
always pros and cons that you see and I uh I, I always reserve judgment like on my final call on it until I see it again. And, uh, but you know, that in itself is always a good sign. If I, if I, uh, want to see it a, a second time and actually spend the money and see it in the theaters. Cause, um, I don't know about you, but I, I saw this in regular, I didn't see it in 3d or anything. So, um, uh, it's always interesting to see, you know, a different take, a different, um, format. What'd you see? And then, okay. So, uh, Minor spoiler warning, Danny, I'm very sorry, but I had seen this movie a second time. I was watching it with you for the second time when we went. I don't know if you listen to the podcast. If this comes up, then I will know you've been listening. Anyway, I saw Rishala on Thursday night uh, in 3D at the Regal RPX Theater in Queens. Um, I do like this theater. I used to go see movies a lot there, like on a... uh, early evening uh you know on a weeknight and there's nobody there and it's awesome because it's so not like going to a theater in manhattan uh but it is not the it is a it's a larger screen but i don't it's not imax gotcha i have not seen this film in imax the second time we saw it we saw it at a dine-in theater so we didn't have the 3d um i think the 3d does add uh a really nice depth to this film um i don't think the other Marvel 3D exponents reserved for Doctor Strange uh, yeah. use the 3D in a way that's really nice and fun and not in your face, but adds to the experience and doesn't take away. Um, sense. You know, and seeing it from uh, from my perspective where I did not see it in 3D, it, was, it didn't have a lot of those gimmicky moments where... You know, it feels like something's like jumping at the screen, and 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 if it did, it, it was subtle enough that uh, you know, for a regular viewing, it wasn't going to distract me from it. Um, but you know, it could be enough that. Well, for a while, they were throwing around the, the MacGuffins. They were throwing around Cap's shield. They were throwing around Mjolnir. Yeah, yeah. They were throwing things around, throwing the Iron Man suits at you. Like they were mo- literally moving physical objects in space in the middle of a movie for the 3D effect. They have stopped that. They have wholeheartedly. Agreed. No, that's enough. Um, okay, but before we get into anything else, I really like this movie. Um, I think it's definitely an amazing, uh, you know, chapter in the Marvel, uh, you know, series of events, the MCU, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know if this is my favorite Marvel movie of all time, but it's definitely a really, really great one. You should check it out. Half, having said that, now we're going to spend 15 seconds warning you. Folks, if you have not seen this movie, if you're going to see this movie later on with friends, if you're really excited about it, but you're like, oh my God, I still haven't seen this movie. I still haven't gotten my tickets yet. And now finally, here's an awesome podcast from the Long Lost Heroes. They're going to tell me all about it. They're going to tell me all the good stuff. Don't play past this point. Sir, you want to see, sir, madam, individual, you want to enjoy this (laughs) experience. Fresh, no spoilers. Uh, James Gunn had a very interesting statement about spoilers the other day where he said, don't be worried about spoilers so much. I think there's something to be said about him being right in that effect, that there are some things in this movie that were spoiled for me, even though I did, I only watched the teaser trailer for this film. I tried to click away on every TV spot. I never watched the official two and a half minute trailer. Um, I was really kind of good. I thought I could kind of figure it out for myself, but I think that the beauty of seeing a cinematic experience for the first time is something that can only be taken away from you by assholes like us. So, ladies and gentlemen, you've been thoroughly spoiler warned for more than a minute. 
Uh, and now, Frank, um, I want to get into the soundtrack with you because we're big music guys. Yeah. What did you think of the soundtrack versus the first Guardians of the Galaxy film? So, okay, and I'll, I'll preface this with um, my, my gut reaction and then sort of the, the takeaway. Um, so the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I was so, so excited for. It was just one of those things that, uh, you know, when they first announced it and like the first trailer came out and like the hooked on the feeling and everything. And I, I was like so hyped up for it. Cause I was like, we hadn't seen anything like that before. And mm. I was like, I really hope it's a, a, a great movie. And I'm pretty sure I listened to the soundtrack before because I was that into it at the time. Well, the trailer, the trailer, man, the, tra- well, the tra- hooked on a feeling. I get it. Exactly. And well, and the thing is, it's like, okay, hearing a bunch of, 70s and early 80s songs like it's not going to spoil a movie for you it may like take away from the but for me it it really built it up and then since then i've probably seen guardians you know i own it so i've seen it probably five or more times so i know the music really well so my gut reaction going coming out of this second movie was like well you know i didn't like it quite as much but then i listened to the soundtrack and i'm like constantly singing the songs and i like every time i sing the song i think about the moments that it was playing you know like like just all the the times that that brandy Brandy, you're a fine girl what a good wife you would be yeah i have been fucking singing that song around everywhere trying to not get caught singing in front of shana because i know she would get really mad (laughs) (laughs) but like uh mr blue sky just like i keep i cannot separate that from like groot being like dancing around in the beginning of the movie, like while the rest of them were fighting. And like, so think that's why I'm like, I really want to watch it again and see the music kind of more in the context of the plot, because I was so focused on like what was happening and I was listening, but it, it kind of washed over me a lot. And I was like, wow, there wasn't anything like so memorable, but there was a lot of really great music in this, this movie and very catchy tunes and, and tunes that people recognize. So I don't know. What, okay. what were your thoughts? All right. So the first thing which you didn't mention, which was I was I, I kept it off the thing, so you didn't mention it, but I wanted to see if you would. Dude, they brought back the theme for the fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. They brought it back. It, you like, can sing a Marvel theme in your head. Yes. And, and they did a disco version of it. <laughs> so now it's there. It exists. Yeah. I'm so happy about that. I. Really, it, it, more than any of the other songs, and, and we'll talk about them in a bit, but the fact that they brought back that theme, that they didn't get somebody else to do temp music, that they really were like, no, we need to keep the theme going. The theme is really important. And they also have, cool cool enough, like, you think about Star Wars, there's so many iconic musical themes. You know, you got, you got the march, you got the Imperial march, you got the Force theme, you got the... Uh, uh, you've got the Cloud City theme, yeah. the, 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 the Ewoks. There's so many different, very memorable, very iconic themes. There's two really beautiful uh, Guardians themes right now. You have like the Groot um, music. Yeah, the yeah. And you also have the... That's so... For me, um, as someone who has really been hoping that Marvel brings back the Captain America theme again... Someone who hopes that maybe one day Iron Man could have a memorable theme we all remember him by. Uh, dude, 
they so brought it. They killed it. Tyler Bates, I, if you're out there, I love you. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming back and, and, and making changes, doing different things. Uh, it really means a lot to a fan like me who's so bummed out by the whole temp music movement and feels that important music and great music is so important in film. Also, thanks to James Gunn. I'm, I hope that I know that these 80s and 70s songs have some place close to his heart. Uh, I think that Brandy, this was the first time they ever broke, acknowledged the listening to of a song in a Marvel movie where they kind of broke the fourth wall like that not only was Star-Lord listening to Brandy, but we were also listening to Brandy, and then they had a whole 15-minute discussion about Brandy. Well, I mean, they kind of did that in the first one, though, because, like, you know, they have them dancing to it and listening to it. Like, when you have uh, Star-Lord and Gamora, like, when he gives her the headphones, like, it's it's not the first time. Right, but, but, but they're, they, but they're yeah. not breaking it down. Like, sure. they, just, they just listen to that song. Like, Ego, who is a sentient celestial living planet organism has deep emotional ties <laughs> to yeah. this song. Yeah. you know and you hear it at the beginning you hear it at the end and i i first of all i really like that song now i do i'm not gonna apologize for liking that song i think it's really beautiful yeah. uh but second um i i love mr blue sky i think mr blue sky is overused in film but this is now so iconic yeah I don't think it's ever going to be able to be supplanted. Uh, I loved Fox on oh, the Run. Fox That's on the Run. It's like, like that was in my head. It's so good. And I want to close on this one. Come a little bit closer. Okay. For whatever that song's history is, I haven't done a deep dive into it too much. <laughs> but from what I could gather from what it looked like was it was a 50s band, the OJs, who I've heard before. And they're playing a kind of a Latin song that like, you know, like you think about the Beatles, like Besame Mucho or something. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like doing a song in this style, but the use of the comedy of the bit that that song takes place in is right. so awesome. Yeah. It's so it's, great. She keeps going to different members of the band and like, like the, 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 main, the guy that's singing is like, Oh, wait a second. So it's not just me that uh, I'm not just the man that she's looking for. She's basically looking for any of these guys. And, Right, and then, but not only that, but then they're going through the hallway in the slow motion with the arrow and Yondu and yep. Rocket, and then when they're in the little control office thing and they're fighting through that, that's awesome. Like, that whole scene is just awesome. I, I loved it. I loved the visual aspect of it. I loved uh, the... I loved the ironic music. It made... I was fucking doubled over in the theater. Yeah. It, it really... Really, really funny. Um, and then, you know, kind of building off that, I would definitely say that the humor is totally beefed up in this movie. Oh, 100%. This movie, I was, like, I didn't, didn't stop laughing. Like, it just was constantly, like, they basically took what they had the first time. They they took the bits. So, like, okay, you know, Drax is dry humor. Like, let's really lean into that. And, like, it, like they went like, out of this world with it. And, like, the, the cuteness of Groot and, like, the, the really crazy things that he'll do, like, they just really kept, like, kept it coming. And I was really surprised, like, uh, in, a, in a movie that, you know, didn't have the right to be as funny as it was. Like, it's not a comedy, but it has so much humor. And, like, you know, even down to, like, just some of the things, like, 
I don't want to get too far into it, but like the way that uh, the running joke of like Pac-Man and how like yes. Star Lord like you know he finally gets his his power together and like it just throws Pac-Man at him. And like, <laughs> the entire uh, audience just like goes crazy. But right. I don't know, man. Like, and I, I, <laughs> you sent me a, uh, a photo yesterday of uh, Yondu as Mary Poppins. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. But, so, I agree. I think this movie was funnier the first time I saw it. Okay. I really, I really, really laughed really hard. But then, and this is like Louis' joke is like, but maybe. However, maybe we need one um we need another kind of Marvel cosmic joke. Because every Marvel cosmic joke is somebody in the cosmic universe saying something from our world right. and not understanding the context. Yeah. So it's Trash Panda, Mary Poppins, Taserface, like what they don't fucking have tasers in Guardians of the Galaxy. A taser is a specific thing. It's a specific acronym that this guy came up with. That's that yeah. that only really is on Earth. That's true. So why he would make a taser face, which I'm sure it, it exists. He's a real comic book character, which is even crazier to me. <laughs> but but uh, to be honest, um, as someone who would consider themselves a comedy interested person. Um, maybe we can branch off and do another kind of joke because the second time all those jokes fell really flat. Gotcha. So uh, and seeing it the first time, it's like, oh man, they did it again. It's really great. But on a rewatch, it's like, okay, well, a little stale second time. Well, um, it's not, it's not that it's not funny. Cause like when he said like the idea of Yondu flying with the thing and he says, you look like Mary Poppins, like that's a great bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right, but then when you do it in the way where it's like, well, is, what does that mean? When you add that line to it, it def it deflates it for me, and it's like, right. no, we don't need like we know they don't we know Yandu doesn't know who Mary right. Poppins is, that's you know. True. We let know it, that let it let it be and just let it sit there. And I'm not saying to be a comedy editor, but like as in a, I think hopefully in the next movie they'll come up with a few more bits that they can do. And I think it's still funny. I think that they should still do them, but I don't want I don't want every bit to be that bit. Right. Um, That's fair. Um, you know, and I think there is something to be said that like this movie had like a little bit more of a connection to Earth, if that makes sense. Like the first one. Yeah, I'll, you're right. It's the first one starts on Earth, but you pretty much kind of leave it behind, except for all of like Peter's trinkets and. Um, but in, in this case, like they actually show earth a lot more, you know, you get it in the beginning, you get it, you get it, log, you get it a few times in the third act. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting that they are saying, okay, look, these, these heroes exist in our world, in our universe, in our time, you know, the, the, the only thing that they could have done to like really nail even further home was to like show freaking Avengers tower or something like that. And like, see it like getting taken over by ego, but you know, they weren't going to do that, but it's, it's really kind of like connecting the dots to like, all right, guys, the next time you're going to see these people, they're probably going to be on earth. You know, these characters are going to be in infinity war and they're going to either on earth, near earth in space, near earth. 
um, but with the Earth characters. And it's uh, it's exciting. Um, you know, it's something that mm. they've they've earned their uh, their right to kind of be in their own side of the, the Marvel universe, but also like it's time to connect the dots. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay, so I want to hold all the connecting of the dots to sure. the end of the yeah, discussion yeah, because <laughs> that is where we're going to get into some serious Marvel speculation that has it, it's bubbling on the internet. I don't know if it's boiling. I don't know if it's simmering, <laughs> but it bubbled up to the surface, and I saw it, and I think I am now a full-on believer. But before we get to that, I want to get to a little bit of what we touched on before with how they were really able to expand the humor because of character development. All the characters move forward in this sequel movie more so than any other Marvel movie they've ever made as a sequel. Yeah, they've okay? nailed the sequel. They, I don't know if it is just because um, James Gunn, from the very beginning, said Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Volume 2, what have you, will have no connections and no presence in the Marvel continuity in the MCU. He totally held up his point. There's a few things we could really nitpick, but he does really hold up his point in that the cosmic universe, sure, it's moved forward, but really all of the characters, their arcs are completed and they're almost given new arcs. Yep. So, you know, let's start with the, I think the bat, like the, my, one of my favorites, which was Drax and, Gamora, Drax and uh, Mantis. Oh my yeah. God. What a great pairing. <laughs> it is a great pairing. And, you know, you've got... A, the 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 most gullible dry character with Drax and like Mantis who is also really in a way very similar but they're and you know on the, on the surface they both seem to be very emotionless but like they both have so much depth to them and especially with Mantis's power um, right 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 and you know they're clearly setting something up between them like they're it seems like she is helping him get through his loss um, mm-hmm. because at, at the beginning of this movie, you, you know, you still feel like he is kind of broken, but at the same time you can like his arc through this movie is like his new family are, is the guardians team. And he really exactly. cares about them. And you know, the, he's the one at, at towards the end where he's like, where's Quill, where's Quill. And like, you're like, I'm sorry, man. Your family, like, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I do kind of wish they did more with Mantis, uh, but, you know, mm. introducing a new character is always tough. Um, oh, so hard. And, you know, they have so, they had so much other, they had so many other characters and concepts to introduce. Yeah. That, like, her pair, her power is simple enough, and her backstory in the MCU is very simple and not what it was in the original comics. Um uh, I want to ask you a question about Drax. Yeah. Um, according to James Gunn, Drax is gray. He's not green. <laughs> they changed his colors because they thought that there's a lot of other green Marvel characters. Do you have an opinion on this? Do you care? Do I care what he is, or do I have an opinion of what I thought he was? <laughs> I would say both. Well, I guess in the the original, I feel like he looked a little bit more green. But yeah, this one, I'd say a little bit more on the gray side. and. It makes sense. I mean, he's a big, strong character without a shirt on, so they don't want to confuse him with the Hulk. Like, that that just doesn't make sense. And 
So yeah, I mean, call him Gray, whatever you want. Then then they'll introduce <laughs> Gray Hulk, and then they're fucked. So <laughs> oh, we're all screwed at that point. Uh, um, okay, moving up the list, uh, Gamora with Nebula. Oh my god. Oh, this one. Perfect. Awesome. Like yeah, you really really feel for Nebula. Um, just in, like in a way you wouldn't expect, like. You know that they're they're constantly fighting, like basically a movie and a half. They are literally fighting each other physically, trying to kill each other, to the point where like she says, like all you wanted to do was win. All I wanted was a sister, and then it's just like everyone's crying, <laughs> like yeah, like and so it's interesting though, like that they kind of left her off on her own again. Um, We'll see where that goes, but you know, obviously they're they're both connected to uh, to Thanos, so they're they're going to show up again. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on on Gamora in this movie? I love her. I love Zoe Saldana. I think she is such a babe, and she's such a <laughs> she's such a cool chick for being all the badass women in all of the sci-fi movies. Uh, what an amazing like in I think some ways you know what, we won't say that because maybe one day she'd come on the podcast and then that would be stupid if she ever replayed it. Uh, <laughs> but really, um, I think she's a re- I think she does a really great job at that in a way that you could see kind of how Gal Gadot is, Gal Gadot is really gonna, is trying to do that as well of kind of representing and being a positive image for young girls. I don't think ScarJo does that. I think Zoe Saldana has that down yeah. Whether she's uh, a big blue Navi or whether she is Uhura or when she's, I think, at her best, which is Gamora, which is the most free character that she gets to portray. Because really everyone, you know, you kind of have an idea of who Uhura is, you know, how crazy can a crazy CGI character, you know, their depth really ever feel. And where she shines here as Gamora, like she gets to go off the walls, but still look like herself, have yeah. the most badass makeup. She gets kick-ass fight scenes. Uh, her dialogue is hilarious. Like yeah. the way that they drew her humor, I don't think is tired. I think the other guys are a little bit, it's more obvious. It's more on the nose. It's more like Gamora will get something wrong to Quill. than it right. will be like, you know, they're mis- the other guys are misinterpreting something Quill said, but, um, Okay, so yeah, I really liked Gamora. I loved her arc with Nebula. I thought it was really cool that they kind of you close a, you cl- uh, you leave a room with Nebula, but you really start what's you know about to be, I would say, a much more spoken relationship between Quill and Gamora in the future movies to come. Right. Yeah, and you know, I feel like the easy thing for them to have done was to have have put them together, you know, done the Han and Leia, you know, moment of it all. But like, really, this movie is so much about Peter's relationship with his father that, uh, or fathers, um, that it would, it just wouldn't have worked. It would have been too much and it wouldn't have been as believable. And, you know, but having said that, and this is, you know, hashtag missed opportunities, hashtag LLH podcast, hmm. uh, missed opportunity. If this movie is all about fathers, they could have expanded upon the relationship more between Thanos and Gamora and Nebula. Well, I mean, I mean, there's it was about Peter's fathers. Like, I mean, how many? Like, it's it's hard. Like, sure. But think about it also like, you know, kind of like Rocket and Groot. Think about it as Star-Lord and Groot. 
True. You know, like they all like this movie is in a lot of ways. The last movie was about moms. Yes. You know, this movie was about dads. And I think that it was maybe, you know, while I understand wanting to keep Thanos out of it and I understand wanting to James Gunn wanting to have his own movie based on his own thing. Thanos is within the realm of that Guardians story. And I think that having a flashback sequence and, you know, every all the nerds would have freaked out because you would have gotten a bonus Thanos scene you didn't know about. Right. But then you look at Thanos in a different way that the way that Gamora sees him. And then that arc, I think, is strengthened by what's going on. I would not be surprised if that existed as a bonus scene someplace that we'll never see. Because I think that if I was one of the producers on that, I'd be like, yeah, I'll make this. Make that happen. Right. Because they, they don't need the guy there. Anyway, moving back to the characters and moving them forward. Yeah. Um, I think that Star-Lord had a really beautiful character arc completed and then began. It wasn't like, you know, at the end of the last movie, his arc is complete and then you see him go on. It's more of the, you see his um, his arc kind of come to the crest where he becomes actually Star-Lord. And then now you see, like, what the repercussions of that really mean. Like, he has to learn about his ancestry. He has to learn about what it means to be so powerful in the galaxy that people want to find you. He has to deal with the fact that his dad is a celestial. Right. Right. Well, so there are a couple pieces there. Cause like, like you said before, the first movie was very much about star Lord coming to terms with his, his mom's death. And, you know, yeah. so many years later and, you know, this, this, uh, this movie you know, he wasn't looking for his dad. It, you know, it really... Not even not, a little bit. No. Not even a little bit. And he honestly wasn't even really... Never... He didn't, until the end of the movie, really realize how much Yondu was his father figure. Like, um, but besides, you know, Drax saying, like, oh, I thought Yondu was your dad. Like, <laughs> like again, great humor, but... Foreshadowing. Um, yeah, seriously. Um, but... So and I maybe I after seeing it a second time maybe you can kind of uh, help me out here. But the way I took it was that with Ego's death, that that light in Peter no longer exists and he he can't tap into it and that he's just human. That's the yeah, way I thought. Can't. Yeah, that's so, that's what that's what I'm thinking too. So you know. I don't know if there's necessarily going to be uh, repercussions and people seeking him out. I mean, I think it's still, you know, in the first movie, he he is a powerful being. Like, it, it, maybe he doesn't necessarily have powers, but he he can withstand holding an infinity stone. And yeah, like I don't think that just because his dad died, he wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Um, but uh, the the other interesting thing, like with with ego, they you know they really leaned into him in the marketing. Like they they didn't want it to be a surprise. They they kind of put it out there for everybody, and it's it's interesting. Um, it's a, it's certainly an interesting take, um, but ultimately it, it 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 gives you the opportunity to kind of uh, take a little bit less time with that reveal. It, it doesn't have to be like, Oh, the build up, the build up. It's just like, he's there. Okay, great. Now let's learn about all of him and, and everything that he is. And you have a, you have a great point. I, I agree. I think they did the right thing though. I, I, I think that it definitely added to the movie 
that it wasn't this big, long, drawn-out process. It was like, you know, the middle of the first act, boom, ego's your dad. Yeah, and and, and we haven't even talked about it, but like, I thought Kurt Russell was awesome, and I think from a... His you know, fucking smiling it face yeah. at the beginning of the movie, the de-aging yeah. shit. Uh, it's Dude, so- I loved it. It was the best one so far. He yeah. looked so good. He looked like classic, uh, um, oh he shit, in, Tango and Cash. And, oh my God. Yeah. He looked so good. He looked so righteous. It was awesome. <laughs> they could do that with anybody. I don't like, do that with Richard Dreyfus. Bring him back to his Jaws <laughs> days. Like, show me Roy Neary. Show me, um, you know, uh, anybody, really. The, yeah. Any of the old guys they're throwing into Marvel movies because they can, because they're like fucking hanging around and doing it. Show me, show me true twenty-year-old Johnny Depp as a new bad guy Marvel villain. Yes. Fuck yes. That'd be Absolutely. Awesome. Like because any. It's getting better. Every single movie, it's getting better. And I mean, you know, I know that the Umbrella Company is the same, one in the same, but like the de aging side of it looks way better than, you know, the stuff that they pulled off in Rogue One. So, um, I know. Oh my God. Like, I don't know how it's crazy that they look so, they look so different (laughs) because Kurt Russell looks like Kurt Russell. Yeah. That that didn't really look like Carrie Fisher. No. Um, but okay. That's a discussion for another time, but a great, a great point to be heard for sure. Um, dude, I loved Kurt Russell when he was older too. Yeah, I thought his costume was really sweet. I thought the look of Ego, the living planet, the planet itself was awesome. awesome. On the level of a Yavin or an Endor for me of how memorable it was. It's very memorable and, you know, just so colorful and just, just massive. And you've got just oh, – I, I really love this, the shot of um, when Yondu and Rocket – are pulling up to the planet and you actually get the, the look with the, the eyes, the face, and the mouth. Yeah. yeah, the face. Like that was a really cool little Easter egg there. Cause obviously they kind of treated him a little bit differently. He's not quite the same. He's more of a, a celestial being that has this power, this, this, this growing power that he has to, you know, just continue and expand. And man, it was heartbreaking with, with, uh, with his mom and, and just like to see like what he did to all the kids and how like, how much all this went to his head, you know? And that's just like literally the embodiment of ego. He just, all he wants to do is continue to grow and become like this massive, you know, being in the universe. And it's, yeah, uh, I, I think, okay. Um, I loved the face. The face was so cool. Yeah. Uh, but a little bit of background on ego. Ego is, is originally a, uh, fantastic four villain. All right. Ego is a living planet who can produce humanoid style entities, but it's it's kind of reversed in in the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and that the main uh, communicative version you're dealing with is the humanoid version of Ego, whereas in most of the comics you're dealing with a planet, a, a planet sized organism um, that fights Thor a lot of the times. Uh, also, there is a. Uh, a smaller moon-sized planet called Alter Ego, which, you know, <laughs> they used to be nemeses. Of course. And at a certain point, uh, Ego, Alter Ego joined Ego's orbit, and they just kind of orbit around, you know, the galaxy together. Yeah. Uh, 
the thing that is a little similar is is the way that it's kind of like a weed, and that like he'll he'll oh yeah take over planets by with this whatever he is part of his seed or whatever. Um, you know, I've even read some comics recently from earlier, like, uh, probably like two thousand or whatever, that is him taking over Earth. It's just like he just continues to move and grow and grow, just like in the movie. So. Yeah, there's definitely a different take on it, but, uh, but I think but it worked very still, well. I think I, I agree with you. I think it totally worked very well. I think changing up Star-Lord's origin is, is 100% okay. His yeah. other origin is, it's, to be honest, not as exciting. <laughs> it's not as good. True. Um, so I think that this uh, definitely plays better um, as a movie. Um, no. And I think that... What? No, go ahead. Go ahead. So... I think that Ego and the relationship he has with Star-Lord is very good, but as much as I wanted this to be the first time we really had a complete arc of a Marvel villain, other than to grow and expand, what is Ego's motivation? Come on, Marvel, we can do better than this. I mean... <sighs> give, me, okay. give me a scene where Ego is like, I can create you know, my own life, my own women to have sex with, and he creates like the female version of hot, young, 70s Kurt Russell, and like something like that. I know it's a PG-13 movie and kids are gonna see this, but like they, need to, they needed to give me a, a pinch more of exposition about Ego's motivation, of, of his purpose, because they yeah. don't. They just say he finds purpose, they don't say what his purpose is. Yeah, that's if true. If it's just to grow and expand, yes, that's all of life's you know, kind of that's the meaning of life we have at this point is to is to, uh, you know, reproduce and live. But ultimately, they could have done a little bit better with it. And it's not Kurt Russell's fault because he looked fucking awesome and he acted the fuck out of it. It was the people who wrote dialogue like you're pissing me off. Ego, the living planet should never say that. Right. Um, like there are certain things that they, they should have like not that they should have, hashtag missed opportunities. Uh, when they're bringing him back together in that beautiful Dr. Manhattan style animation, which oh. I think still plays, it was gorgeous. And they really did it up a notch in this one in the way that they assembled his, uh, his structure. Um, but you could have him saying some really deep, powerful, you know, esoteric, egotistic shit. Yeah. Instead of saying things like, you're pissing me off, Peter. Like, come on, he's a planet. Yeah. He's, you know, he's been around for billions of years. He's a celestial. He also, in the comics, ego is a telepath and can read your thoughts in your mind. Um, so it would be interesting to see if they had played with that as well. They didn't need to. Yeah. I thought the third act was really good, though. You know, it was one of the standard third act plot devices, i.e. portal in the sky, i.e. you know, extraction point. Yeah. One of the, yeah, that's any, true. Any movie ends in one of those two plot devices sure. anymore. Yeah. So but, I, well, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> you're good. Um, you're just very excited. Um, the uh, the thing with ego, and I was gonna mention this before, is like in in comparison to say like the last movie with with Ronin, like this is a much more actually developed villain, you know, like you do get oh, 100%. Of, you get all of his backstory, you get his motivations, you get the the enacting thing that 
he did to Peter and to the Guardians that like is like why he's a villain. And I mean, the multiple things that suck about that is that they kill him off. So he is not going to be like your Loki where you can bring him in again um, unless they, you know, Guardians, if they ever get to four or five, decide to say, oh, there is a spore that, you know, whatever or something part of Peter, you know, dark Peter. But uh, mm-hmm. and but you're, you're totally right that some of his dialogue was definitely cheesy. And, you know, they showed Peter understanding his uh, his meaning, but they never really showed or told us what his his purpose in life was um and you know it it ultimately started to come off as a little bit like mustache twirly in the fact that like oh yeah i killed all your brothers and sisters and i killed your mom because you know i couldn't bear to live with her it's just like he's just doing these things that you know at first like if he said that right in the beginning it would be like you're crazy i'm gonna kill you get away from me but like he tried to take them in so He's totally evil. They totally did a beautiful job at setting up how evil he was. I def- you definitely feel that much more than from Ronan, much more than from <sighs> Whiplash, much more than from, you know, uh, <sighs> Crossbones. But, like, you... Uh, no, you so- totally see why he's a bad guy. Um, and his character development with Star-Lord is really interesting because it felt a lot like you know, these movies about, like, divorce and, like, how, like, how usually, like, a stepdad is portrayed as opposed to the biological father, whereas in this movie it's reversed. Right. And you really, at the end of it, you so empathize with Yondu because it all makes sense now. <laughs> of course Yondu would would realize after a certain point if being a Ravager was on the line that, no, you can't transport kids. B, kids may be helpful C, Ego is fucking eating the kids. Right. So, like, Yondu's Yondu's arc is full and beautiful and complete. And his line at the end of the movie, like, holy shit, what a great line for anybody who's a stepdad. He may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So awesome. And it it was so sad to see him go. Like, it was such a, a really cool... Uh, inclusion in the first movie like mm-hmm. couldn't really tell like is he bad is he kind of good like what is his deal and like they really played up the fact that he was like part of this team and he like you said was peter's dad and like for, for better or for worse like they they did get those moments and they got to have that closure but like it's just really heartbreaking to see like peter lose his biological father and his like surrogate dad within minutes basically um and that he couldn't do anything about it and you know it's interesting because like they uh the shot that they did with with yondu is you know so similar to the to the one in the first movie where it's uh peter quill and and gamora so it's like they they're probably toying with you a little bit they're like oh well you know if if she survived and he survived then like they'll be able to save yondu now but they don't and you know could could they bring him back sometimes? I mean, it's it's a comic book movie. Sure, they could, but they're definitely sort of leaning into the fact that Craglin might you know take up the mantle and use the the little whistle stick. So, uh, but, but I don't know. Any uh, the Finn, the Finn was oh. so awesome. Oh, and but how about like the retrieval of the Finn with Groot? Oh my oh. god, 
That was a great bit. That was such a great bit. That was really funny. You know, and um, so we haven't really talked that much about Groot and Rocket yet, but you know. Well, I wanted to kind of I wanted to segue or segue because I thought Yondu's scene with Rocket was so important. <laughs> yeah. For any little jackass video game playing adolescent kid who thinks you really can just like talk like Rocket for the rest of your life. No, you cannot. Because this is what happens. You become like Yandu, who's a bad guy. Yeah. And you, or you become like Rocket, who loses his friends and loses their respect. And I just thought that maybe that was like my subliminal message that I took out of it. But I thought that they really kind of had someone, like they, these two characters, they weren't in love, they weren't brother or sister, they weren't family, but they connected about something really right. real. And you could see how that obviously affected Rocket, obviously kind of shook him to his, his, you know, his sticks a little bit in that, no, you can't just be such a dick all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's his arc that's kind of, it starts in the first movie and, you know, you, you have him really, you know, upset with everybody at many points in that first movie. And, uh, like when he gets drunk is what I'm trying to think of, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, he he did have a really important moment, and it's like he learns from Yandu that like you need to be like Groot's father figure here. You have to take him under your wing. Like he took care but of also to, he was to bigger, how to lead. right? Like, yeah. Well, and that's an interesting thing too, because like that's the cool thing about the Guardians. Like they each one of them have their own strengths. Mm-hmm. And their own moments to shine and all moments to lead even, you know, like, you know, maybe not so, so much as Groot in this movie, but, you know, the first movie when he makes the, the big sacrifice and, you know, one can argue that's sort of a different different character at this point. But, you know, you've got Rocket, who's a leader. You've got Gamora, who calls shots sometimes. Star-Lord, who, you know, brings him Thinks together. Thinks he's the leader. Thinks he's the leader. <laughs> the only one, I mean, I'd say like Drax, but like Drax kind of just does whatever he wants. So, yeah, Drax is leaderless. Leaderless, but but he's. I thought very, well, he yeah. respects his family and like he, he totally. wants to protect them. So, um, real quick on Yondu again, I thought in the first movie it was really great that they played Yondu kind of ambiguous and kind of a Han Solo, Boba Fett bounty hunter kind of a way. Yeah, and that you don't know if he's really good or bad. Word, and I did like that they they brought that full circle with him. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there. But no, Groot, fine. okay. Um, Groot, I love baby Groot. He's adorable. It's really funny. Teenage Groot, hilarious at the end of the movie. Great, uh, end credit scene. But, uh, um, I don't know. I was, I was hoping for full-size Groot at the end of this movie. I was hoping for baby Groot in the beginning, teenage Groot someplace in the middle. And then by the end of the movie, you got full-size Groot again. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite that far along, but I did expect him to grow. And I thought that uh, physically, not just like as a character, because uh, <laughs> that's what things do in these movies. <laughs> physically grow. Um, yeah, I really thought that we would, besides just a, like a tease at the end, that he would be like at least teenage Groot sometime in the middle to the end of the movie. Uh, but yeah, that's a lot of baby Groot. And, you know, they might have kind of overdone it, you know. For something that was such a little gimmick at the the tag of the first movie, like they really leaned in, and like the first scene was awesome, and like 
the other moments and here I mean like poor Vin Diesel man like give him something else to do right like I know he only says I am Groot but like he's not even in this movie all that much if you think about it no nah, he's really not um so. okay so I I hope that for the next Groot appearance we see full size Groot I'm hoping that you know if he is teenage Groot or he's at you know later you know early 20s Groot fine um I just want to see him big and able to do the kind of amazing shit that he did in the first movie. And I yeah. thought that while wow, he had that one cool scene of the guy who kind of tortured him, who looked a little bit like flea on the ravager ship. Yeah. Um, ultimately that, you know, that that's his one big Groot moment. And like, I want to see Groot, you know, helping out and being a part of the team more than I want to see him being a baby and dancing around the whole time. Exactly. Um, but yeah. which isn't to say I didn't love Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky is the best use of that song in any film. Yeah, but it's a great way uh, to start the movie. But it's a great way to start the movie. Could have but evolved. we can do we can do we could do more. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to say uh, I heard this on a few other places, but do you think Yondu is kind of the story of this movie that's kind of underwritten, and maybe you have Star Lord in the first movie, and that maybe every guardians movie is going to be more centered around one of the one of these guardians that that is a definitely interesting take i mean yondu is very much at the center of this movie um but you know it without like without star lord it, it wouldn't really be the same and you know he wouldn't he wouldn't come to realize his relationship with with yondu without what happens with ego so yeah, he's but, just he's just movie star charisma. Like he's just yeah. a movie star now. Like he's it's so on it. He's so on a different level. Yeah. Um, yeah. which was such a bummer because the last movie I watched him in was Passengers, and that movie's a piece of shit. Ooh. Uh, but uh, he so oozes. He even in that movie he oozes movie star. Like he doesn't really. It, it's crazy to me. I want to see him do like an, an uh, a straightforward action adventure kind of movie, something like that. I would love to see him jump out of these huge, huge franchises. I understand that he's probably contracted in there to the rest of his life, but probably. holy crap, there's so many other cool things I would love to see him try to do. Um, and he'll get there. Know, he'll get there. I mean, he has he's got three franchises, dude. Yeah. Lego Movie, Jurassic World, and Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you count Parks and Rec, like that's also a huge following in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, he was in what the Magnificent Seven too, like. Yeah, but it, that's a that's a western, I, and they I know. It was a reboot. They, I got, I guess I should see it. I should probably see that movie. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be other things that he he starts to pop in, up into. But uh, I I just have one other like quick thought that uh about this movie as a sequel. Um, I thought you know. And it, it ties really well into the, the fact, like, obviously, Volume 2, really leaning to the fact of the awesome mix thing, and that's really cool. But, like, mm -hmm. from from a perspective of story, like, I really saw this, like, as a volume, like, like the next volume in, like, a comic book, where, mm -hmm. like, they, they start up in the middle of the action here, and, you know, you feel like you, you, you can tell that in between the first movie and the second movie, they've gone on like a ton of adventures and oh they've been up to some crazy shit yeah and you you feel that and you feel that they they've really figured out their their rhythm as a team and that you know this is 
just a glimpse into like, and it's like this big moment that happens to them. Like it, it's, uh, and the same thing I will, would hope would continue on into the, the third volume. Um, but, you know, I, I think that is a, another reason why like it, this movie does have like a true beginning, middle and end. It has a very big story to it that a lot of sequels just can't nail. And they, they try to, you know, outdo themselves or or bring it too small like this movie found all the right things from the first movie and made them better if that makes sense you're 100 percent right so one thing i would love to say about this movie is that it is in in some ways very original in other ways it's really not <laughs> and i think i think what i want to talk about is really all the fucking similarities that this movie has with empire strikes back uh, and I don't want to be like a dick because <laughs> I don't think it's bad. But the middle of the first act, they fly into an asteroid field. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's a major fatherly revelation. <laughs> yeah. In regards to paternity, they split the team up. So the team goes in different directions in different parts of the universe. You know, okay. they're all not together. Right. Um, and then the last thing is that it it ends on kind of a cliffhanger, but you also are now uh, you, you you're not you're not kind of this movie. While it ends on a few cliffhangers, which we could talk about as post credit scenes, they're not actually like the third act of the movie. The final shot of the movie is not a cliffhanger. You don't know not what's going to happen. But uh, this movie, it doesn't do those part two tropes. Okay. Also, so, like, my question to you is, do you think that those are real? Do, or am I just pulling shit out of my ass? Or, it, or like, and, and does it take away if it does? Well, what I'll say is... Empire Strikes Back is a movie that came out almost 40 years ago and like so many things have taken from it. Like like 3 years ago when uh, Winter Soldier came out, everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's just like Empire Strikes Back." And like there's a ton of similarities between those two movies too. But you know, right. how how much can can we really blame them for taking some of the best beats from one of the best movies of all time. And like, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking it as we were going through. I, I don't think it's like, yeah, sure. Like I could see the asteroid thing. I could see splitting up the team, but like, these are some things that are just story beats that happen in a lot of movies than that are not necessarily. I mean, the fact that we're comparing it to another space movie in, in itself, is like, it's going to be a given, you know, like we're always going to compare it this to star wars probably like no, you're right. time but um i don't know I, I i didn't really i i honestly i was thinking that this movie had a lot different than than empire but what were you thinking i mean i i'd say that you've got um i i don't feel like it ends as much of a, on a cliffhanger than you know no, it doesn't. Does. It doesn't. So, uh, you know, I feel like it has more of a complete story. Uh, and then... Also, Empire Strikes Back doesn't have post-credit scenes. 
Well, yeah, well, duh. <laughs> Could you imagine if, like, a post-credit scene at the end of Empire Strikes Back is like an Ewok? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the other thing is, like, they win. They win in this movie. Like, they beat right. the Ego. So, like... They don't lose. They don't lose. And uh, they're... I mean, they, they get overpowered, sure, a lot. Um, and, you know... The main character goes to a forest-like planet to learn about his powers. <laughs> like, but I'm he's sorry. Not alone. But he's not alone. Like, he's, he's got his, his other uh, friends there. Sure. Okay. Um, I, there's a lot you could probably lean into, but... Um, okay. Um, I want to talk about this because I know that this is what you have to talk about if you want to talk to the nerds. You have to talk about the cameos. You have to talk about the post-credit scenes. Um... I know we've kind of touched upon a little bit of them in, in the past uh, 50 minutes, but I want to give you the you know one last warning here. If you wanted the movie spoiled for you, um, I'm sure it was at this point. Uh, <laughs> we tried not to give we try not to give away plot. It's not really what we do. We're never going to resummarize the plot, but the post credit scenes we're going to kind of analyze. So if you haven't seen them or you walked out or some shit happened, you've been warned. Okay, post credit scenes. Bonus character cameos. Did you know who Sakaar was when you saw Stallone the first time? I didn't. I had no idea. No, I mean, I had no idea. I, I honestly, I was disappointed a little bit because I was hoping that they would make Stallone like Nova or something, mm-hmm. the superhero. That but, was really cool. But uh, you know, I mean, it, it's cool to have him be like a named character, not just some like random ravager. Um, okay. Um, the second post-credit scene, um, the lineup of the OG Guardians. Did you know who those guys were the first time? Uh, no. I was like, right. oh shit, that's being random. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> and then, last question, and, and you can, it, 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 up, it's up to you. Did you really know who the Watchers were before the leaks came out? Yeah. Them I okay. did know. Cool. Okay. I didn't know that. So going into this movie, uh, the spoilers that had been released about the end credit scenes were in clickbait. So they revealed who Sakaar was. Um, I saw about the Watchers with Stan Lee uh, someplace. I did not, and then I heard about the Miley Cyrus cameo because that's the way that they clickbaited it, and then right. it turns out she's part of the OG Guardians. So. My first viewing, I had no fucking clue who these people were. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have um, Stallone to be in a Marvel movie, I think, classes up the movie by at least 150%. Yeah. The fact that he's in these movies is amazing. It's so awesome to me. Um, please come back, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, they're setting it up for sure. So, yeah. hopefully. Um, the OG Guardians, so you have, like, the Ving Rhames character, Miley Cyrus's robot character. You have the uh, kind of the bug-looking guy. He ultimately takes over for Doctor Strange, I learned. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, so that's why he had the sling ring on, and I knew that that... So the second time, I'm like, oh, that's the thing uh, he's waving around. Got it. That makes sense. Um, so that was cool. Um, but... And, and the crystal guy... Like I didn't know who these guys were, but and, I mean, but that's and I didn't know and I didn't know who Sakar was. Right, but that's and, okay because you recognize it's Stallone. It's like, it, you know, if they Stallone, had Stallone in and of itself, you're right. You recognize the awesomeness of Sylvester Stallone. 
Right. Yeah. But and that's all that matters. And then, you know, for the people that that do know the original Guardians, they're going to like get that. And it's like it's not in the middle of the movie. It's kind of just at the end there. As answer a tag, answer as a, for me this question. Yeah. Is the Marvel cameo still a viable entity if a majority of the audience viewing it have no idea who they are? Uh, well, like, like at what point are, are they getting, they playing too much to the crowd? And at what point does it like not mean as much anymore? I I think they could do whatever the hell they want. I mean, they put Howard the Duck in the first one and nobody knew who it was, but then like it became a huge thing. I'm like, I know they made a movie and I know like there are people that know Howard the Duck, but like... That's the point. They're supposed to be an Easter egg for the people that are looking for them. Um, you know, and I think that adding them in, you know, if you don't know who they are, it's a huge deep cut. I think that's the thing. It's like the Guardians themselves are like a D-list thing already. Like, it's not like they're the X-Men and then they throw in like some like D-list X-Men person. Like, right. it, it's like this is like really deep down the well. So like the people that want to see it, they'll, they'll put it there. Because like, I'd rather have have it than than not. I mean, it's. I think it's always fun. I think it's. It seems like they always have a good time trying to come up with something unique and different, and making the universe feel big and lived in, and like having all these like crazy characters that like existed in the comics, you know, thirty years ago or whatever. I agree. I agree with you. I I understand where that comes from, but I think I'm getting a little bit of cameo fatigue. Yeah. And and I think that there is something to be said that. If I know that when, like, if and when Shayna ever completes the first Guardians movie, Ugh. she is not going to have a fucking clue who any of those people are. Right. And then when you get to this point where the characters are so obscure that, you know, people are, like, getting it wrong in the theater and you can hear the whispering of the wrong characters. Somebody, right. when the Watchers came on, was like, dude, it's the Skrulls. No. So then hundreds of people who didn't know are like... Scrolls look nothing like that. Exactly. So, like, uh, okay. So I I get it. I think it's great. I think that there should be a cap to it. I think that they should have to say the expositional dialogue of saying the names or something like that so that we can see what's going on. Because at a certain point, you know, the Thanos cameo as the only exception you need, I think the cameos need to either move the story forward or reveal or reveal new characters in a way that, you know, is going to, that you moves the character you've already seen along. Yeah. You know, I agree. I, I, I think that's the thing that, you know, in the first phase, pretty much every, uh, post credit scene connected the dots to the next movie. They've kind of stopped doing that a lot. Right. They'll have something that, you know, like at the end of Doctor Strange, they have Thor and, you know, they, they, they connect that together. But like every other movie, they're kind of like, let's just throw it away and let it be. And like that to me is a shame. Like it, they're, they're making this huge universe, like at least give us something. And then in a movie like this one where they have five post credit scenes, like, yeah, some of them meant something to like the plot, but it just, it, it over, overdoes it and it, it cheapens it a little bit. The, the novelty of like, Oh, we're, we're staying after the credits and, 
waiting to get something like a, a tidbit of what's to come and you know it's like well i think that i think that maybe um what like maybe what they're trying to say in doing that over the past few the phases phase two and phase three is that maybe we shouldn't expect um to always get a teaser or something that shows the next movie or the next series of characters yeah that's why i think like the cameos like the Bruce Banner and Iron Man at the end of Iron Man 3, I love that one. Yeah. I love the I love Thor at the end of Doctor Strange. Uh I love when Evangeline Lilly gets the wasp costume. I love when you see um Wakanda at the end of Civil War. Like I think those those kinds those, of yeah. Yeah. They, they really do a nice job of moving the cam the the post credit scene, the cameo post credit scene cameo forward. And I would hope that they, you know, hear our cries and answer us. Um, okay, so now I want to talk about the Watchers. Uh, no, let's not talk about the Watchers for a bit. Let's talk about Adam Warlock. Okay. Uh, he's apparently not going to be in Avengers three or four. From all of the stuff that's been clickbait, pretty much it says that Adam Warlock is a major factor in the Infinity War. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't get. I don't get this. Is it a misdirect or is it a hashtag missed opportunity? Well, I mean, I think there there are two things. They uh, James Gunn really wants to tell the Adam Warlock story and wants to keep it for himself and has a really good plan for what volume three is going to be and how it's going to tie into the story with Aisha and the Sovereign. Um, and, you know, great, you know, have that. If that's the reason, then then fine. But you know, it's it is weird. Like I think you're right, a missed opportunity to have a character that's so closely tied to this story in the comic books and that has at one point wielded all of the stones. Like, or, mm-hmm. or they're just going to make it. I guess the the thing is like, do we want a character like Adam Warlock to do that, who we don't know, or would we rather have someone that we care about do it? And that's probably what is happening behind the scenes at Marvel. They're like, if, if this new guy that we just bring in, it, you know, decides to get all this stuff and become an important player, you know, or, or are they, do they have a fear that some of the people that will see Avengers infinity war won't haven't seen guardians Two or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a missed opportunity. You know, they keep talking about how many characters infinity war is going to have. So, but you know, at this point, they didn't set him up enough to introduce him. So I say he's going to be in, in volume three, and that's it. Or maybe, well, it depends. We don't even know when that movie's coming out. Right, Most likely, true. it's going to be after Avengers four. So okay, um, but wrapping it back again, I, I'm cool with the fact that this movie, as its own thing, doesn't have the continuity bounds that it does of the other MCU movies. I think that as a Marvel film and as a Guardians film, as a Marvel cosmic film, the fact that this kind of exists on its own, like having said what I said, like I understand, but like I do appreciate how this movie exists in its own universe. They're not really dealing with Earthbound characters too much. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. The interesting thing, and like we've got that so far in the first two movies, and 
I thought it was a really nice touch when uh, I guess it was at the end of Thor: The Dark World where they brought the yeah to the collector. Like that connected mm-hmm. it. That that was like the first thing that was like, okay, this is uh, all together. Um, but as these movies continue on with uh, Infinity War and Captain Marvel and who knows what else they have in store for Phase Four, but they're going to be in space more and. I would hope that if they're going to continue the Guardians series, or I don't know if it'll just be a trilogy, that they would have more uh, continuity with with the other characters, and you know maybe someone else pops up or something like that. But I'm 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 certain that they will. Okay, so now I want to get into our major speculative portion of the uh, podcast. I saw this kind of laid out for me in this guy comic book cast he has a pretty decent youtube page uh you can watch his video um i don't know if he really makes the argument as clearly as i'm about to um Mm -hmm. but uh here's pretty much what i what i think he's getting at so the watchers the two credit the two uh scenes they're featured in there's one in the middle of the movie where you're doing a flyby uh, in the ship jumping through 600 or 700 systems. Uh, then you also have them as the final end credit scene where all the watchers are walking away from Stan Lee. Um, during this scene, uh, the watchers are uh, describing um, uh, his Avengers Age of Ultron cameo. He was saying, and that time I was wearing a FedEx outfit. <laughs> I got you. I placed you. So here is the official Stan Lee information from James Gunn. This is from Marvel proper. So the Watcher's continuity theory suggests that Stan Lee is an envoy or an emissary of the Watchers. And mm-hmm. thus, he hit the powers of the Watchers are imbued onto Stan Lee. So the Watchers can exist. They watch. There are ways of people who are very voyeuristic. Um, they watch, they observe. Sometimes they get involved when that happens, shit gets really crazy. But most of the time they just watch. There's one of them called Uatu who watches us, watches Earth. Right. Anyway, um, uh, Stan Lee possesses the same powers as the Watchers, which means that Stan Lee can occupy multiple universes and within that realm can always have all of his cameos in any Marvel movie have now been canonized. Oh, yeah. So so not only are we saying in every MCU movie where we've seen him pop up, like, it's not just a, like, oh, Stan Lee is playing this random guy. It's Stan Lee is playing this guy who happens to be in all of these moments. You know, dating back to Iron Man 1, uh, you know, into Avengers 2, where he's, like, in, getting drunk with Thor, and then uh, Civil War, where he's just Tony Stank, and, like, all that stuff uh, is the same guy. And it's, you know, it's interesting, because he's very close to our heroes. Like, he's watching all this stuff and, and seeing all the things unfold. But, you know, the, I think the bigger question, and I think you might have been getting at this, is, like, there is an entire, in the comics at least, multiverse 
of uh, worlds. And, you know, even DC does this on their side as well, but that it's not just a singular reality there, you know, and every uh, choice you make affects, you know, your life. And if you make a different choice, it's a different reality and, you know, they're different worlds. So could, in theory, uh, the MCU be one reality and then something like the Fox uh, X-Men universe be its own reality? And could they potentially somehow bridge those together? So here's how I think that's gonna happen. So the Watchers and Ego, the living planet, are both more properly could be both more properly be described as Fantastic Four characters. It's where they come from in the canon. When Fox acquired the Fantastic Four, they acquired the Skrulls, they acquired the Watchers, Ego, numerous other Galactus, Silver Surfer. We could go on and on and on of other very important Marvel characters, but that really kind of originate maybe or mostly with the Fantastic Four. Um, so both of these properties are owned uh, right now at Fox. We have also seen the sharing of the Spider-Man universe Aha. to cross over between Sony and Disney, which took place, which began in 2015, but now has really crystallized last year in 2016 when you have the first appearance of Spider-Man in the MCU, and now it is about to come out of its little shell in a couple months in Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, I don't know what Spider-Man Homecoming is going to be like, but I know it's the first time Sony and Marvel are going to be sharing their characters, and in doing so, they've pretty much created the bait for the highest-grossing single character titled superhero movie of all time because you got iron man who's number two and you've got spider-man who's number one the financial the spider-man is the most financially successful superhero but he beats superman like by like crazily uh so spider-man coming into the mcu last year Everyone was very excited about it. You know, you see Amy Pascal talking some shit. I think we talked about that. But either, but whatever, like, you know, she doesn't know how much money they're about to make. She right. doesn't know. They're going to, I could very easily see Spider-Man with Iron Man hitting 200 million, making Aven, uh, uh, Avengers for Avengers 1 level numbers. Really. Fair because enough. I think, I think that it's, it's totally possible that if you have the first superhero that ever crossed 100 million plus one that pretty much got 100 million or more every single time, I think this movie is going to make a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that Fox saw what was going on. They thought about the relationship that the TV series is about to occupy. They saw that uh, Hugh Jackman was moving on. You know, they rebooted their universe. They kind of did everything. And now they're kind of set up for what I think is pretty clear at this point, that with the beginning of the sharing of these two characters resulting in Guardians of the Galaxy grossing 145 million, that Fox is going to see that it is no longer fiscally responsible to keep all of these properties so separated and out of touch with each other. And that we know at this point that, um, you know, uh, Feige 
is not going to give away the title of Avengers 4 because he says it involves major spoilers. Right, right, right. In my opinion, Avengers 3 is going to end on a major downer note cliffhanger. But the very beginning of Avengers 4, I believe very realistically now could see the crossing over of universes as a result of Thanos using the Infinity Gauntlet as the Fantastic Four, X-Men, and if they get around to doing it, Venom and those kind of characters all kind of crash into each into the MCU at a single point. That I, I mean, I hope that's the direction they go in. Um, it, it seems again like a missed opportunity. Uh, it, Fox would leave money on the table. Sony would leave money on the table. Like this, this would just be the biggest thing anyone would have ever done in movies. Uh, you know, you've got such a rich universe in, in the Marvel comics, and they they flow freely between each other. You know, one one comic issue you can be reading, uh, you know, Avengers, and then all of a sudden you've got the Fantastic Four joining in to help. Or, uh, you know, I mean, the way that they did the Civil War crossover uh, comic series mm-hmm. years ago, like that involved everybody and. I, it's a shame, especially because the Fantastic Four have not been treated well on screen. You're 100% right. At, that if they were handled by Marvel, I think would do a much better job. They know their characters. This is like their first family. They, they, they would make them fit in you know, a way that made sense into this universe. And, and having them come in... You know, I, I think it's just a lot of heavy lifting that they'd have to do in an Avengers movie to introduce the Fantastic Four. I mean, they could. Well, no, I think you. I think maybe you keep those Fantastic Four. I don't know if you. I don't think you. I don't think you can ever have a new origin story for the Fantastic. Uh, Four. I, I I agree with you, but at the same time, I feel like it's so tainted. Uh, I don't know if they. That you need it. That we almost need a new proper one to reverse. Yeah. The, the poor exponents of it i don't know i don't know if i agree because i think that they're not gonna they're not gonna ever do that with the new spider-man and we're all gonna benefit from that but i do agree that one of my thoughts is you know and i know and i realize these are pie in the sky crazy person you know tinfoil hat kind of thoughts i don't expect these to come true i don't expect you to have hopes that they come true as the listener to us please um, please do not set your expectations and hopes this high. We will only ruin them. And then you'll be mad at us, which is really stupider. Um, but <laughs> I think I think that this could happen. And I think that there's we're getting to a point where the time has passed enough to see how much these movies make and the kind of uh, the kind of cultural impact that they have. Yeah. And, you know, I I really would hope that they that they would work on this, that they would think about this. And if not, and if that's not what happens, which I, I think is probably more likely if it doesn't happen, um, I don't I think that the beginning of sharing these Fox Fantastic Four characters is indicative of something. And if they didn't go all the way with this kind of crazy crossover, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Venom, et cetera, you know, jizz all over your pants kind of thing, um, you know, I think that maybe Marvel is trying to get Fantastic Four back for Phase Four. 
I think that may be more realistic than, say, merging in the universes that already exist and including the X-Men. I think the X-Men universe is already so sloppy that, you know, I mean, maybe they would go down the route of, of, if they're hitting that reboot button, maybe they do connect it. Um, but it, it right now, it's, to me, it seems like it would be way too much to introduce all at once. But at the same time, at the end of Avengers 4, if we're, already, we're talking characters like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America, most likely not leading uh, and featuring in any of the movies anymore uh, after, you know, basically... The 10 years uh like who who's gonna be the next ones to to hold the mantle and you know we've got our doctor strange and we've got guardians but some of those they need they they have a plan and i'm sure they've got a plan for the next 10 years 15 years of what they're gonna do and i'm sure those plans are you know if we can get fantastic four if we can get x-men back like these are the kinds of to- stories that we would tell. If they oh, could get Galactus, like, think of the cool shit they could do with Galactus. Yeah. How awesome would it be if they could do, like, House of M and, and rewrite realities with, with Scarlet Witch and, you know, introduce Magneto and in, in that universe? And Oh, yeah. It would just be crazy. It would be awesome. But in, until those deals actually get made, you know, I don't know. But you're right. Like some of these things are definitely like, well, that's interesting that they made those trades. And, you know, I, I think it meant that uh, Fox were, were able to use some characters that Marvel had rights to. Well, uh, so, yeah. So the Watchers or like uh, or, you know, like a lot of the other, you know, major Fantastic Four villains, they can all still pop up in Fox movies. Right. So they 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 share them, which I think is cool, and I think makes the most sense. You know, I yeah. I think it was really a big step back in how we saw their relationship when they both went after making Quicksilver. Right. In two very different ways. That's true. And it was I, a unique it was a unique moment where Marvel Disney did not come out you know triumphant in whose version is the most memorable. That is. That's true. That's you right. know, the Fox, um, what's his name? Aaron Johnson or something? Aaron Taylor Johnson was on ours and on uh, ours, Marvel's. And then uh, Evan Peters is in Fox. Oh, my God. Okay, Evan Peters, each of his scenes are great and hilarious. And yeah. he's, he, he's, he's fantastic. So I, I really do think that for whatever reason, Fox, they got, they got him down. You're also seeing that the comic books, they're going to reboot X-Men and Fantastic Four comic books in the next year or two. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I'm hopeful that something's other, going down. Other little piece of this wrinkle with the Stanley bit of it. Obviously, Stanley has cameoed in not only MCU movies, but he's also cameoed in pretty much all the X-Men movies. Are we to believe that he's a watcher in their universe? That's what, that's what I'm saying, dude. I, that I know, but like right now, if they're very much saying this is separate, what what is he like? What's his existence in that? If they are separate, so. but th- that's what I'm saying, dude. It's like it, if they're gonna say that, then shouldn't we imply this? Is I would this think so. Not, is this not what we're all to be thinking about? I would think and, so. And I think that if they are saying that. And that's what they're saying. Thank you. We got it. We heard you. Yeah. 
Um, hey, maybe we'll we'll get our our Wolverine and the Avengers crossover then. That's, hey, he would do it. He said it. He said he would do that a thousand <laughs> times. Yeah. He's like, fuck it. If if I'm gonna be able to fight Thor and Hulk, absolutely. And they'd make millions and millions of dollars. And, and oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, man, Wolverine <laughs> was supposed to appear originally in uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Two. That's awesome. Uh, Feige was really into it. Avi Arad said no. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, okay, that movie turned out pretty good. So. Yeah, we, we can we, we can we can we can save Spider Man Two. Spider Man Two is a, is a masterpiece. So, uh, any other thoughts on on the movie at hand, Guardians of the Galaxy? I know we kind of went uh, deep into the continuity, yeah. but uh, any other final thoughts on on it before we wrap up? Okay, so Guardians of the Galaxy Two, I think, is one of the most effective Marvel movies ever as a sequel. I think that it did some things that. It's the absolutely okay. With the with the exception of Winter Soldier, mm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is the best sequel version of any of the Marvel single single title movies. Um, I do really enjoy uh, all of the. Uh, amazing space stuff the amazing music the amazing um comic bookiness of it all the sci-fi epicness of it all i i really dug this movie it's right up my alley um i think that it does something new it makes interesting jokes where jokes hadn't been done before i think that that's always cool yeah i i love it i i'm very happy with it and i cannot wait for james gunn to do number three and number four he said he's gonna write and direct number three which if he were to direct number three it would make him the only director at marvel who directed successfully his own trilogy that's that's a good point yeah i mean i i think that uh, the, the the captain america movies like we said they they've kind of all maybe not increasingly got better but they they built on themselves in a, a very effective way. I mean, Civil War is a great movie, but one could argue Winter Soldier over it. Anyway, um, but yeah, this one so far, it, to me, it, it just really builds on that that first movie. It's a much more personal story. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd hope that at least uh, in the third movie, we maybe we get a little bit more. I don't know if he's planning it as a trilogy or four or whatever, but if, if it's going to have full closure, I'd like to see you know some returns to the uh, first planets or brings back some of those characters. Want to go back to Xandar, want to go back to Nowhere, want to see the Collector. Yeah, I'm down. Um, Anything that you want to see of the Guardians team in the Avengers movie that we haven't touched on yet? uh, No, I have no no expectations. I do not know how they're going to come across. I think it's going to be really funny to see... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Drax, or Robert Downey Jr. and Bautista, yeah. Drax and Iron Man together. I think that that's a really hilarious pairing. Uh-huh. Um, I would really love to see um, Hulk fight Groot. I don't think that that's <laughs> going to happen, though. Um, I think that it would be funny to see Cap yell at Rocket about language. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I I don't have any, like, action set pieces or ideas i just think that they would be they would make funny scenes together yeah it's it's something that i'm excited about i would say that's what we're getting next so 
uh, we'll have to keep that this all in mind as we go. I don't, well, I don't think I'm going to watch, like, I may not watch trailers for Infinity War. I may try to I may try to avoid it for two years, which is which is very doable because I haven't watched a single Alien Covenant trailer. I haven't watched anything. I have closed my eyes in the movie theaters. I have changed the channel on the TV. I have not watched it. I will be damned. I I feel like there's a. We both have a little different philosophies on, on the way. Maybe that's something we can have on another conversation, but. You know, there there's something to be said about not knowing anything about a movie, but uh, or not knowing anything about the spoilers. You know, I mean, there there's a reason trailers exist. Like, so I, obviously, the problem nowadays is that trailers are really bad and they give away too much. Um, right, because- but okay, okay. So I loved. We spent a whole half hour talking about the Star Wars trailer. I love yeah. the fuck out of that trailer. I probably will watch the official trailer for that movie, but yeah. I think. Lucasfilm at Disney takes extra special care not to give away any spoilers in the film, but to show you the best visuals, the best, uh, you know, um, uh, elements, the best, all the characters you want to see. And they do it in a way that's really loving and careful. And I think that anybody else who's not uh, Lucasfilm first Marvel second, because if you look at all the marketing that Marvel does for their uh, films, all of the marketing is super heavy on the first act of the movie. Oh, so yeah. like all, so like Avengers two, all of the commercials were in that snow uh, on Sokovia. Uh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume two, all of the trailers, all of the marketing has that big slimy, crazy, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, Buck Rogers kind of alien thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, to be honest, like um, Fox, Warner Brothers for sure. Warner Brothers is probably the worst. Yeah. Um, Sony's they put bad. Major Sony is also bad. They put major plot elements in trailers. Yeah. And they ruin the experience of discovering the story of a movie in the movie. Yeah. And I, I understand about spoilers and stuff that you don't want to see the spoilers in the trailer, but it's not about spoilers for it's not about just spoilers for the sake of spoilers. It's like if I can figure out the plot of the movie from the trailer, you fucked up. But there's something to be said about like this. Okay, this sequel, you know, the characters that you love, like what what adventure are they going on? You can have a description or a brief snippet clip uh you know not that won't give away you know everyone's motivations and their plot but in a way that want i mean think about it like yes we are very close to these things we're going to go we're going to spend the money but there are people out there that need to be convinced to go and see a sequel and go and you know some people can't afford to you know go out to the movies every weekend and so they need to pick and choose and you know the marketing needs to sell them on that. The problem is that they give away too much, but they do need to be able to tell in a very succinct way what they're trying to get people to come out to. And I think for me, I like to see what they're trying to tell me in a way that doesn't give a lot away. Um, You know, this one, I, I probably didn't watch a lot of things. I did see the trailers, but I didn't, I was surprised by a lot of things. So there wasn't I, any- but I was, but in this movie, 
even though I knew Ego, Kurt Russell, was going to be Star-Lord's dad, um, I didn't know that Ego was going to be the bad guy. I yeah. thought going in that there was going to be some other kind of bad guy who would emerge. I thought it may have been uh, Ronin again or something like that. Or, I mean, even the, the Aisha. They, they or, really even, or even Aisha in the beginning of the movie. I'm like, oh, maybe she's the bad guy. But, like, uh, I did not know fully that excuse me, Ego was going to be the bad guy. And that was, I think, because I didn't watch the uh, fully extended trailers that showed you more of him in different places. And for for me, and this is not really about Guardians, because the first, I did watch the teaser trailer for Guardians. I am not watching any of the marketing for Alien Covenant. I refuse to, because Prometheus spoiled the movie for me in the trailers. Got it. I knew the entire plot of that movie going in. Well, and I don't want to have that experience with this because I love Alien so much. I can't even tell you. The first time I saw Alien, I must have been like like less than 10 <laughs> um, to see the first Alien, which is messed up because there's some graphic scenes in that movie, but it still plays to a 10-year-old. And it would scare the fuck out of a 10-year-old. Because, yeah, holy right. shit, look at this crazy thing. And then Aliens, which, I, I, uh, in my opinion, is a way better movie and a much more successful... Um, it's, it's the perfect action movie, dude. Like, just everything about that movie in terms of action pacing and moving the story forward and the kind of action set pieces that it has, is, it's so seminal in film today that it, it's nuts. Well, Having with that, that, I will tease the fact that I am definitely am raising my hand. I've not seen them. AJ has g- given me them. I'm going to watch Alien 1 and 2 and Prometheus before Alien Covenant, and we will have a great conversation after because it's going to be all fresh in my mind. And, it's, and, I'm it's, the, and it's the brutal. most – right. It's the most true version of it because you're, n- you're never going to see – the trailers for Alien or Aliens. Nope. <laughs> You're never going to watch the trailer for Prometheus. You're going to watch those three movies. Yeah. Back to Beak to Beak. And then you're going to go see Alien Covenant, which has been getting pretty decent reviews so far from the critics, which is very nice to see. So I'm very excited about another sci-fi movie in May. But mostly, Frank... I'm really excited we had this conversation. I know we've been waiting to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 for since we started the podcast. I remember yeah. we, the first things we threw up on the Excel spreadsheet. So thank you for completing this experiment as we complete. I, I believe this is unofficially Episode 10. We're going to call it Episode 9, but yeah, happy 10th like episode, buddy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Uh, I think uh, we pretty much covered it, and uh, we will be back in the next week, week, two weeks, something like that. We're definitely going to be talking about Alien Covenant, like AJ said. Uh, We'll see if we can squeeze another one in there, maybe uh, as a news roundup or uh, a review, something like that. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, So otherwise, uh, you know, I I think that kind of locks everything in. We really love this movie. I'm going to go see it again. Uh, I don't know if you'll see it a third time, but uh, you know, probably it's, not. <laughs> it's always great to get a, a good Marvel movie at the start of the summer. We've got two more this year, and I'm excited about those. 
but otherwise, you know, we, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LLH Podcast. Uh, we, we've got – you can email us at info at longlostheroes.net, our website, longlostheroes.net. Uh, anything else you want to plug, AJ? No, no plugs. I think, uh, you know, really excited that you all tuned in for this hour and 35-minute episode. And Danny, if you made it to the end, again, I'm really sorry I didn't tell you I saw it with Shalom. Um, but, you know, I had to go. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. All right, you too. Have a good night, everybody.